going to get started week three. Why or, or, or I hate my marriage and I want to get out. How many of you hate your marriage and want to get out? Quit raising your hand. Stop. <laughs> Logan, you can't do that. You can't do that. No, it's funny. We're, we're in a series entitled I Hate My Marriage and I Want to Get Out and How to Get Out, actually. And, and uh, I'll be honest, I've had one of those weeks this week. And uh, after Tuesday, I had my sermon down. I'm good. I'm ready to flow. I'm ready to go. It's all good. And then Thursday came. And God changed everything up. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Those of you that's been speakers and preachers and different people before, but God kind of just wrecked my world and began to speak uh, to me about a specific topic. And I believe that everybody in this room, whether you're married or not married, you can glean from something in this room uh, today and from His Word. Because as I was preparing for this new sermon that God really directed me in, I began to reminisce and think about the things I love about the Bible the most. You know what one of the greatest things about the Bible is to me? Is that I can sit here and I can read about a lot of people that made mistakes. But they learned from the mistakes. And God still used them. Aren't you glad even though you make mistakes in life, God can still use you? Come on now. Aren't you glad that we serve a forgiving God, a God who, who literally looks down on us and don't judge us by our sin, but looks at us and says, hey, if you'll confess that sin to me, I'll forgive you your sin. One of the statistics I gave last weekend, this is hard for a preacher to do. I'll go ahead and confess. One of the statistics that I gave last weekend I have found was not true. Um. Uh, and I made a statement last week, and honestly, I did what most pastors do in America. They hear somebody say it, and then they just say it again, and they don't research it and look, look you know, into it themselves. So here's what I said. It's actually 51% of all marriages fail. 51%. And I've heard it preached by many people that the divorce rate in the church is no different than the divorce rate in the world. Have you all ever heard that? If you were here last week, you probably heard that. That's not true. I began to research, I began to look, and, and that was one of the things that God convicted me this week over. And here's what I have found. Uh, a, a common statistic, and these are just statistics, but a common statistic that was very fluid between multiple sources said this. Couples of faith, that means if you're a couple and you believe in God, and God is in the middle of your marriage, are 35% less likely to get a divorce than someone that does not have Jesus. Come on. Some of you need to get some Jesus in your marriage. Because here's what I've realized. You don't just wake up one morning and hate your marriage and want out. You don't do it. You don't just wake up and say, man, you know what? I hate this. I want out. No, there's a constant thing that is happening. It's a progression. You don't just in one day make that decision. Marriages don't fail overnight. It's just the truth. But here's what I want you to understand. The enemy is looking for the flaw. He's looking for the crack. The thing that he can look in and go, okay, okay, I, I think I can see into this thing now. He's opened it up just a little bit. He's looking for a way in. I, I come across 2 Samuel. I was just reading through some scriptures. And I come across 2 Samuel chapter 11 and my heart dropped. 
And I began to study 2 Corinthians or 2 Samuel chapter 11. I began to study that thing out and I began to, to rehearse some things that I've, I've uh, taught in the past about this specific text. But God began to speak to me. I, I'm a story. I love stories. So I, I'm a guy that really searches out stories. I come across this one story that I thought was just very, it brought a lot of revelation to me. On June the 5th, 1976. That was years before I was born, people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Maybe four or five years. Maybe four. Okay? So anyway, on June the 5th, 1976, there was a, a, a dam called Teton Dam in Idaho. I'm going to bore you just for a minute, but this, this story has a purpose in a minute. It collapsed without warning. Sending millions of water that just caused mass destruction and death. It collapsed without warning. Everyone was shocked. Oh my gosh, did you hear that the Teton Dam busted open and, and Uncle Joe died? Uncle and, and Sister Sally, she's gone. I can't believe it. Have you ever heard of a couple getting divorced and you're going, What? That couple? No way. Have you ever heard that? And you're like shocked and you're surprised? That's what was happening right here. Everyone was shocked. How could it happen so quickly? It didn't. They began to study and they began to figure out how did the dam break? Because it couldn't have just bust open in one day. Here's what they found after all the research. One small flaw. One small crack allowed water to seep through the dam and fed what they call, this is what it led to, it led to what they call internal erosion. It's about get good. You hear me? Internal erosion. If you go back and just kind of Google it, you can see some pictures, and I don't want to bore you with all this, but I think it paints a picture of our life sometimes. Because I believe that even in this room, under the sound of my voice, there's some people in this room that has some internal erosion happening in their life. Nobody knows what's going on in your life. You cover it very well. You can say hallelujah just like a religious person can say hallelujah. If you look at some pictures... They went back and they're like, okay, there was like this still audio or this video that was going all the time. They just kept record of the dam, you know. So they went back weeks, months, and they noticed that there was this little brown spot to the left of the dam that began to form, which was some of the dirt beginning to come out and run down the side of it. But nobody paid attention to it. And then before too long, they noticed a little stream, just a little trickle of water. And then by the time they really noticed it, it was too late. They went to repair the dam and it busted. Then I found myself in 2 Samuel 11. And I was reading about David. A man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart who loved God with everything that he had. He fell into the sin of adultery. Adultery led to deception and murder and hypocrisy. And I'll be honest, I was horrified. I'm sitting there and I'm going, wow, something like that, this could happen to me. 
We're not exempt. It don't matter how long you serve God. It don't matter how great your relationship is with God right now. We always have to watch it. We always have to keep our guard up. Because the scary thing about this story that we're going to read today in 2 Samuel chapter 11 is this. David fell after he had walked with God for many years. David at this point, we know David the teenager, right? Going out slaying giants. I mean, we know that guy. This guy right here in 2 Samuel 11, this guy right here was over 50 years old. How could this man fall? I'll tell you. Internal erosion. Sometimes you often look at yourself and you go, how could I do that? I'll tell you. You're hiding it. And if you can, every moment that you continue to hide the sin on the inside of you, your spiritual man is eroding. Thinking that we're beyond temptation is the first step toward failure. You're not beyond it. I don't care how spiritual you are. The tempter is going to come to tempt. And I pray that you're strong enough to hold up. Identify the weak spot in your life. You got to begin to identify the flaws. What are the things that are happening on the inside of you that nobody else knows? I'm speaking to somebody. What are the things? What are the things that are happening? David, I believe, had a weak spot. And I think his, one of his weak spots was women. He had many wives, many concubines. I, I, th I think he had a woman problem up until 2 Samuel chapter 11. And then when he found him, his, his sin found himself out. And we read about that also. But 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1, listen to this. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. Now listen to the scriptures. Who went out to the battle? Who were supposed to go out to the battle? The kings, they go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. That's where it happened. But David remained at Jerusalem. He wasn't supposed to be in Jerusalem. When you put yourself in a position that you're not supposed to be in, you're destined to fall. The temptation is going to be great. Father, today I pray that you'll help me. I can't do this without you, but I can with you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Teach us something today through your word. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Listen. It was David that positioned himself for the failure. My word to everybody in this room today is this. Don't position yourself for failures. You better set up some boundaries, some guidelines in your life for the weak zones. How many of you have got some weak zones in your life? Yeah, most of us have weak zones. Those of you that won't confess that you have a weak zone, that's a weak zone. It's called pride. Amen? You need to humble yourself before an almighty God. 
Because all of us have something that we struggle with from time to time. Now, I'm not saying we fall into sin because of that struggle, but it's always coming back up. It's coming back into our lives. We better get a hold on that type of stuff or sin will fully come into our life. It's those secret things that nobody wants to confess. Nobody wants to say anything about. That's what David was struggling with. That was, that's what David was dealing with right here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Let's read verse 2. The first three words are very powerful. Look at it. Then it happened. Come on, posi- keep positioning yourself. It's going to happen. Listen to what it says. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he what? He saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Let me tell you something. If they wouldn't have said the last part, David, I probably could have said, David probably as soon as he seen her, he just turned his head and go, oh my goodness, I can't look at that type of stuff, right? No, 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 no. She was beautiful and she was one that, oh my goodness. You know what I'm saying? Let me tell you where adultery begins. Where lust begins. Adultery begins in the stage of imagination. Before the enemy ever gets you in the bed, he first must get into your head. Are y'all with me today? He first must get into your head. It's not, listen, it's not what's in the heart right now, it's what's in the eye gate. You've got to watch what you are allowing into your eye gate. Marriage is about giving. My wife is a giving person. She's giving to me. I am giving to her. Marriage is about give and take. Marriage is about giving. Adultery is only about taking, robbing. Listen, impurity don't start in the heart. It starts in the eyes. What did the Bible say? David saw Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba. If you're taking notes today, write that down because we're going to see a three-step process here. But David saw Bathsheba. Here's what I would tell you. You say, well, what do I need to do? How is this helping me? I'm going to give you a word of knowledge today. Don't look. Quit looking. One of the lies of Satan is this. Well, I can look, but I won't touch. Keep looking. You'll touch. Come on. You've got to quit looking. And I'm not exempt from this. You're not exempt from this. I Yesterday I was thinking about this and I'm, I always try to get uh, illustrations that I can practically, you know, tell you something or practically give you an example that even in my life, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I'm exempt from any of this stuff. Yesterday I found myself at a place and I walk in and I had to turn my head. And I had, actually I was sitting on a stool and I turned my stool around and began to talk to some guys that were with me because I can't believe that some women would wear what they wear in public. Are y'all with me today? I had an opportunity. Some of you, you were there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I was with the Hope guys yesterday. We were out working, working out in the gym, right Jimmy? I was showing you what's up. It's just how it was. Actually, he was showing me what's up, right? But let me tell you about Satan. Satan is a salesman trying to sell you something without telling you the cost. 
Oh, it's okay to look. Don't worry about it. It's just a little look. Hang out at the barber shop long enough, you'll get your hair cut. Are you with me? If you struggle with something, you better set up some boundaries, some guidelines. If you struggle drinking, don't you go to the bar trying to save everybody in the bar. You will be drinking with everybody in the bar. If you shoot meth in your arm, quit going to the meth house. You are who you hang around. You are what you allow into your being, into your soul. Listen, Satan, all he's doing, he's up front telling you how wonderful the product is, but when it comes time to pay, he's out. He's gone. You say, well, I can look, but I don't have to touch. That's a lie from Satan. Because when you allow that thing to come in the eye gate and it goes down into your soul, something happens. And Matthew chapter 5 tells us what that something is. Listen to what the Bible says, verse 28. But I tell you that anyone who what? Who looks. It didn't say that anyone that actually performs an act with a woman. It said anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his what? Heart. God don't look at the outward appearance of man. What does he look at? He looks at our heart. God is going to and fro looking at, at, uh, for hearts that are searching for Him. He's looking at our hearts. Verse 29, I think, is a pretty cool verse. Uh, I, I don't think that when Jesus was teaching this that He meant it practically. I think that He was showing us some things, but it's kind of funny. It says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Some of you are going to roll up into church next week with a pirate patch on your right eye. And half of you will be women. Right? Oh, see, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, because women don't look. Women don't look. Women don't lust. The devil is a lie. He's a lie. Do you see how it all goes? Looks, lust, adultery. I'm going to set some of you men and women free in this room today. If you stop looking, you can control the lust in your life. Man, it's just going rampant. I don't know what to do. Quit opening your computer. Quit bending your head every time a girl walks by. If you can stop looking, you can control the lust that the enemy wants to run rampant in your life. I'm preaching better than y'all's amen. David, this is the very man that we're talking about later on in his life. Psalm chapter 101 verse 3. Here's what he said. He said this, and I think that it is a powerful scripture. He said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Do you think that David learned a lesson? He knew when you set something wicked before your eyes, what's going to happen in your life? I know that this sermon is not popular, but this sermon is true. He goes on to say, I hate the work of those who fall away. I hate it. I hate what the enemy does when we allow things to come into our eye gate. The enemy is ruining marriages off of imagination. Some of us say, we just got to be like Joseph. Joseph was a man of God, wasn't he? Here you got Potiphar's wife. She done pulled him into the bedroom. This is in the Bible, people. It's cool. She done pulled him into the bedroom, man. She's coming on to Joseph. Joseph flees. 
You want to know why? Because I believe that he, he knew if you don't flee, you will fall. I fix and fall. Joseph was a beautiful guy, right? If guys can be beautiful, that was Joseph. He was a well-fit, good-looking man. And here you got this woman coming on, to him, coming on to him. I want to tell you, if Joseph wouldn't have hightailed and ran out of that bedroom, Joseph would have fell. David had the opportunity to hightail and run, but David didn't. If you linger, you'll begin to lust. If you linger, you lust. And it's a progression. And here's what happened. Not only did David see Bathsheba, but David sent for Bathsheba. See, it always takes another step if you allow it, doesn't it? One thing leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another. David sent for Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 3 says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Do you see how sin progresses? David had given into the desire that was in his heart. Now he has taken it a step further. He's opened the door a little bit wider for the enemy to come in. And here's what the enemy's doing. Oh, okay. I got my foot in now. It was just a little crack. I couldn't even get my fingers. Now I can get my foot in. And I can really see what is going on. And even David had accountability, but he rejected it. Have you ever, did you notice that in the Word? Did you notice the accountability that came into David's life for a moment? And David rejected it. I'm telling you today, if you've got friends or loved ones, or maybe it's your spouse that is coming to you, and they're saying, hey, look, honey, I'm not jealous, but I'm just telling you there's something about that woman. You've got to watch that woman. Don't you go back to your wife and don't respond like this. Oh my gosh, you're all, you're just jealous. You're just, no, she's probably holding you accountable. She's probably saying, hey, I know women more than you know women. And you better watch yourself. And the vi vice versa, right? Are, are y'all flowing with me today? But listen to what it said. It says, and someone said, didn't list the name. It just said, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Do you not know who that is down there? You don't need to be messing with them. Do you know who Uriah the Hittite was? It was one of David's mighty men. He was out fighting for David, and David's here lusting over his wife. Well, God shouldn't have never put David in that situation. God didn't put David in that situation. James chapter 1 really addresses this. God is not the one that tempts us. That's not who God is. Listen to James 1, 14 and 15. It says, but each one is tempted, listen, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It all started with David's heart. Each one of us, it all starts when we allow it to go from our eye gate into our hearts. And each one of us is tempted when we are drawn away by the desires that we have. And I want to tell you something. It's a strong progression. Don't fall into that trap. Verse 15 goes on to say this. 
Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth what? Death. Not life. The enemy is here to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your marriage. But God has a greater plan for you in your marriage. Lust will turn into sin, and sin will lead to death. Which leads me to my last point with David. Not only did he see Bathsheba, he sent for Bathsheba, but David sinned with Bathsheba. There's a constant progression. If you don't watch it, you will end up a statistic like everybody else and you'll find yourself falling into that sin that you said you would never do. Why? Because you had a flaw that you would not address. And most flaws in this room, I know it's quiet, I know this is not a popular sermon, I get it, hallelujah, but I'm going to keep on preaching it. Because most people don't want to identify the flaw that's on the inside of them. Most people don't want to admit that they have something going on in the, on the inside of them that is creating internal erosion. Because the truth with all of this is this statement. Impurity will not only affect your marriage, but it will affect your whole family. Do you know what happened? Just go back and read your Bible and see what happened to David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. She got pregnant. She sent word back. David's tripping. You know what David did? David calls for Uriah. He gets Uriah from the battlefield back in front of him and says, Hey man, why don't you go home, get drunk, have a good time with your wife? He's trying to cover his sin up. But Uriah was man enough to say, Oh no, I've got men out there that are fighting. I'm going to sleep outside my house. I'm not going to go into my wife. I'm not going to do that. You're going to send me back to the battlefield. And oh, did he get sent back to the battlefield. David was trying to cover up his sin. David sent Uriah back to the battlefield, told Joab, he said, I want you to put him on the front line so he'll die immediately. He became a murderer. Do you see how sin progresses people? Some of you is like, well, I, I've, I've lusted, but I've never committed adultery. Come on now. I mean, we've all lusted and never committed adultery. That's not true according to the Word of God. When you lust after the opposite sex and they're not your spouse, you, according to the Scriptures, have committed adultery. And that lust, here, here's what I know. That lust before it becomes adultery, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a biblical name. And we're going to break this down. That lust is the iniquity on the inside of you. Have you ever heard the word iniquity? We're going to break that down in a minute. That adultery is the transgression, the sin. I, I'll, I'll say it like this. Transgression is the outward movement. Iniquity is the inward motivation that sparked it. Both are wrong. Some of you honestly believe because that thing has not morphed and become a transgression or a sin, you think it's okay to keep that on the inside of you. I'm telling you it's not. I personally believe I'm fixing to tell you some of the best stuff I've told you today. The Bible says in, De uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus chapter 34, that the Lord visits the iniquities of the Father to the third and fourth generation. 
It didn't say that he visits the transgressions. He visits the iniquities of the Father to the third and fourth generation. Have you ever been in a situation or heard of a situation like this? Maybe the dad used to be really bound in specific things, but nobody really knew about it. But the dad kind of got healed up. I don't know where that came from, but it sounds good. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I'm just... Go on, kick it back, girl. Kick it back, girl. Do your thing. Maybe this, this may be the best time. If I was going to dance, it would have been the best thing you heard all day. I don't even know where I was. I have no idea. And where? The father. The father. Oh, the father. Yes, be bound. It's like a father that is sitting there and he struggled with some sin, but it was private things. It was just inwardly. Nobody knew about it. But he's looking at his teenage son and he's going, he never knew I did that. How is he struggling with pornography? How is he struggling with all of these different things? He never knew that I went through that. But I can help him. You know what? That's the iniquity that's being passed from generation to generation. It's a spiritual thing, people. Sometimes in church, we don't want to talk about spiritual. This is a spiritual place. We need to talk about spiritual things. The iniquities that you hide will be passed to your sons and daughters. You understand what I'm saying? That ought to be enough to know right there. That ought to be enough motivation to begin to deal with what's on the inside of our lives. I don't want her to deal with what was on the inside of me. Are you all with me? But Jesus dealt with all of it. I got scripture to back it. It's so cool. Jesus dealt with every bit of it. When Jesus came and died for our sins... Not only did he die for those sins that are outward expressed, but he also died for those inward erosions, those things that are hurting us on the inside. You want me to prove it? Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our what? Transgressions. Our sins. He was wounded. Do you know what Jesus went through? We're coming up. Next week will be Palm Sunday which is the week that Jesus would have came in and they would have, they would have raised palm branches and began to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just a se several days later, Jesus would have been sped upon, beat, slapped, kicked, punched. His beard would have begun to be pulled and plucked out of his face. Have you ever, if you have facial hair, had somebody just pull a little bit of your beard? You want to punch somebody. But Jesus took it all, took it all. Listen, he was wounded for our transgressions. Outward. When the blood began to pour out of his body, your sin began to be forgiven. Because of that outward thing that was happening, he was wounded for our transgressions. But listen, he was bruised for what? Our iniquities. What is a bruise? A bruise is a bleed under the skin. Christ's blood is for your iniquity just as much as it's for your transgression. Are y'all hearing this today? That's some good stuff. I don't know if y'all like that as much as I did when I seen that this week. I'm going, oh, Jesus is good. I mean, it was just awesome. 
Because God bled for us internally and externally so that we could be completely set free. Some of you, you have no problem confessing your sin that has already found you out. The problem that you have is you're afraid of what's going to happen in your life if you begin to confess the sin that's happening on the inside that you could hide. You can hide it from me, but you can't hide it from God. You can't hide it from God. You think you're going into your spiritual closet and shutting the door and laughing at all the church folk that are around you. They'll never figure it out. It don't matter if they do or not. The one that needs to figure it out already knows. And the truth is, is He is sitting there waiting for us to confess our sins. And the Bible says when we confess our sins unto Him, that He's faithful. Say faithful. Faithful. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that God wants us to have a cleansing service right now. How many of you want God to cleanse you from some junk that's in your life? How many of you are tired of dealing with that inward erosion, that inward sin that nobody knows about, but you need to confess it over to Jesus? How many are struggling right now and need God to do something? How many? How many? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to pray with you this morning. Some of you, you walked in here and you look good. I don't want to have a church full of people that just look good and they sound good. I want a church full of people that know they've made mistakes, but they're willing to confess their mistakes over to God so that they can be better people, so that people who need Jesus can find Jesus because of their testimony. That's what I want to pastor. I wonder who in this room, you say, hey, that's me. There's some things I need to give over to God. Nobody knows about them. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Nobody's looking around. If that's you today, could you just slip up your hand? Just slip your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you right over there. Anybody else? Yes, thank you, thank you. You say, hey, man, I've got some inward things. I've got some things I've got to get go. Yes, thank you right there. Thank you right there. Thank you right there. I see your hand. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Hands just going up everywhere. Yes, thank you. The greatest fear that I have as a church is for people to try to hide. They try to hide their sin. Let me tell you something. God wants to expose that stuff today and declare to the enemy that he's not one. That he is defeated. As you're lifting your hands up today and as you pray this prayer just in a moment, you're declaring to the enemy that he's defeated. That he thought he had you, but he don't have you. That greater is he that's in you now than he that's in this world. And that you're not a victim, you're a victor in Jesus' name. Say this prayer with me, everybody in the room. Let's just say it together. Let's ask God to just come into these people's lives in a, in a strong way. 
Maybe some of you are confessing Christ for the first time. Maybe some of you are just rededicating your life. However it is, just pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I confess my sins to you today. Forgive me. Mold me and make me. And use me from this day forward. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give God a big old hand clap. You can do better than that. Come on, give God a big old hand clap. It's good.